Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello and welcome to you all. No, I wasn't like playing Angry Birds over there. I was checking Trudeau's flight. I was trying to see if I could like find where he is right now because you may recall uh, Justin Trudeau was like grounded in India because there was some mechanical issue on the plane and somehow despite being in like the country that has more tech support than anywhere else in the world, they couldn't fix it. So uh, they had to delay their return to Canada for basically two days. They only left this morning. Now that is Tuesday morning, India time. They're flying, I believe, to my own city right now of London, Ontario, where the uh, plane will touch down and Justin Trudeau will address the Liberal caucus tomorrow. Now, uh, here's the thing that's interesting. And you can tell that Trudeau really, really, really doesn't like the Indian government right now. India offered a plane. This was a story my producer Sean uh, found from uh, India, where the Indian government had said to Trudeau, we will give you a plane. Like, that's how eager they were to get the government of Canada out of India. They're like, just give give him Modi's plane, just like fly him out of there. Uh, you know, maybe you just open the door over the Atlantic and just, you know, shove him. I think, I think it's, yeah, you go... East to West, right? They wouldn't go over the Pacific. Anyway, I've never flown to Delhi. I think they, they go Atlantic. But uh, that is basically what's happening. The India government, I mean, yes, it's a, you know, they're a charitable, hospitable people, but I don't think they were being charitable and hospitable. I just think they didn't want Justin Trudeau and, you know, the Canadian delegation hold up in some New Delhi hotel for an extra couple of days. But all of that is to say uh, Justin Trudeau will be returning to Canada any minute now, and he will be addressing the Liberal Caucus retreat, which is in my city. Now, here's the thing. I have applied for accreditation to cover the Liberal Caucus retreat. Now, whether or not I really want to spend uh, days in my hometown hobnobbing with Liberal members of Parliament is a different discussion entirely. But I do think it would be good to have the opportunity to chat with a bunch of the ministers in particular who are part of the Liberal Caucus, especially after covering the Conservative Convention in Quebec City. I have asked the Liberal Party for accreditation, and they said, no, 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 you got to talk to the PMO. So I said, okay. I've emailed the PMO probably about four times. I've emailed Justin Trudeau's senior press secretary. I don't think she was stranded on the tarmac in India. I think she is in Canada. And no one has responded. So actually, right after I get off air today... I'm just going to go down there. I heard from another journalist that had uh, gone to the caucus retreat today, which is when it officially starts. They said you can get accreditation on site. Now, I may change my shirt. I realize I'm wearing like a, like I look like a liberal campaign aide in this shirt. It's like a, a shiny blue golf shirt. So I don't want it to look like I'm trying too hard to fit in. So I, I'll put on uh, like something else. Uh, maybe I'll wear orange. The NDP have to be pretty popular to the liberals right now. But I'll head on down there and see if we can get accredited on site. And, and this is I think particularly interesting because the liberals were very indignant when the conservatives wrongly, I would say, denied accreditation to several people to cover the conservative convention. Tasha Carradine, a columnist with the National Post, was denied. Nora Loretto, Loretto, I don't know her name. Uh, Laura, Laura Stalin, I don't know. Uh, she likes uh, she likes the communist Nora, but uh, nevertheless, she was there with a media outlet that uh, did not get accreditation from the conservatives, and I thought that was short-sighted on the part of the conservatives. But the liberals were very indignant. You may recall Pablo Rodriguez and Stephen Gilbo sniping uh, from outside the convention about how they didn't like that they were not allowed in. 
And this is where we have to look very, very carefully at whether there are just different rules in the liberals' eyes for themselves than there are for others. And I think they pretty much are looking that way. But to go back to uh, India for a moment, Justin Trudeau's uh, being stranded in India is really just the feather in the cap on an already embarrassing, blundery trip. Now, you may have seen some of the headlines here. Justin Trudeau pulled away. I don't like the analysis of handshakes, but he like pulled away apparently from Modi when they were doing the big greeting uh, arriving for the G20 summit and made for a little awkward encounter. Do you remember when all the media was like going over and over and over about analyzing Justin Trudeau's handshake with Donald Trump and like, ooh, he did, you know, he grabbed the shoulder and he stood firm and he held his own and now it's with Modi. It's, he's pulled away from the handshake. Well, Modi apparently didn't like this too much, nor did he like the uh, positions that Justin Trudeau took in support or at least in sympathy to Khalistan separatists, which are a very real issue in India, as is in general some of the extremism you see from that. And more importantly, you also have memories of Justin Trudeau's last official visit to India when he decided that uh, instead of representing Canada as the head of government abroad, he would instead audition for some low-rent Bollywood film, uh, complete with supplying his own costumes. You can uh, take a look at some of the highlights. Oh, there we go. Yes, Justin Trudeau, uh, namaste. He's actually, if you follow his eyes upwards, he's actually looking at the conservative poll numbers, which are right now like miles and miles above him. So he's like looking up and, and praying desperately uh, that he'll be able to reach those things. But that, we, uh, you know, maybe I should just switch to an audio show. We'll leave that up for the whole time. You know what? It's a win. He didn't put the makeup on his face. That is considered a win. This time, no costumes at all. And I wondered if that might have been why the plane couldn't take off. Perhaps it was too weighed down by all the costumes he decided not to, all the costumes he decided not to put on because of memories of the last one. But one thing that's kind of interesting is uh, India put out a montage of Modi greeting all of the G20 dignitaries that were arriving, the heads of state and heads of government from South Korea, Japan, Turkey, the United Kingdom. And let's just take a look at that, see if you notice anything. जी ट्वेंटी के प्रेसिडेंट के तौर पर भारत पूरी दुनिया का आह्वान करता है कि हम मिलकर सबसे पहले इस ग्लोबल ट्रस्ट डेफिसिट को एक विश्वास एक भरोसे में बदलें यह हम सभी के साथ मिलकर चलने का समय है और इसलिए सबका साथ सबका विकास सबका विश्वास सबका प्रयास का मंत्र हम सभी के लिए एक पथ प्रदर्शक बन सकता है जब वर्षों पुरानी चुनौतियां हमसे नए समाधान मांग रही है 21वीं सदी का यह समय पूरी दुनिया को नई दिशा दिखाने वाला और नई दिशा देने वाला एक महत्वपूर्ण समय है सबका साथ की भावना से ही भारत ने प्रस्ताव रखा था 
Now, I can't say I agree with everything he said there, mainly because I don't know anything he said, but I can tell you that even as the video went on for another 30 to 40 seconds, nowhere in the video did I see Justin Trudeau anywhere, not even like in the background, not even like clearing the tables after the important folks had a meeting, nowhere. And he actually greeted, Modi did, the Prime Minister of India, every single G20 leader present at this summit in that video, except for two. One was Justin Trudeau and one was Emmanuel Macron. Now he was hugging a guy that I couldn't identify later that maybe was Macron, I don't know, but I'll, I'll say just in the interest of being conservative here, every G20 leader but two, Justin Trudeau and Emmanuel Macron featured. He included, oh, I don't know, er Erdogan from Turkey. He had uh, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. He had Rishi Sunak from the UK. He even had Joe Biden. Joe Biden, who it like took him nine takes to probably find the guy with the outstretched hand on the carpet. He put that one in there, but not Justin Trudeau. Now, is it just because he didn't like the caliber of the footage that Trudeau gave him when he like pulled away from the handshake? Or is it because India wants to say to the world in a very subtle diplomatic way that it does not see a relationship with Justin Trudeau as being either healthy or even present in the first place. And of course, the uh, comments that Justin Trudeau have made have not escaped the Indian media who, I mean, Candace Malcolm, I recall the last time Trudeau was in India, was fielding requests like 24-7 from Indian media outlets that just wanted Canadians on to, you know, just make fun of Trudeau. In this particular case, let me uh, show you one uh, clip that we saw from one presenter in India. Obviously, Canada will always defend uh, freedom of expression, freedom of conscience, uh, freedom of uh, peaceful protest. That's something that's extremely important to us. At the same time as we're always there uh, to prevent violence, to uh, push back against hatred. I think on the issue of, uh, of the community, it's important to remember that the actions of the few do not represent the entire community or Canada. Okay, so I'm going to now... Uh, shed the diplomaties because when something manifestly insane takes place uh, in your face, uh, there's no reason to be polite about it. Justin Trudeau has just shown you the finger when it comes to Khalistan. This man has just come after imposing an emergency in his country to crack down on the freedom of expression and the right to peaceful protest and has just talked about the freedom of expression and the rule of law and the right to protest. Okay. Now, the truth is, Mr. Trudeau, uh, like uh, any good Punjabi, I have family in Canada. And I promise you, the nonsense that you're talking is emanating from sheer hubris. A total disconnected view of the world where you think that we don't see what you're up to. We don't understand what you're up to. And you can continue behaving in a totally nonsensical fashion, talking nonsense. I will say uh, that like purely from a design perspective, I get dizzy watching like the style of the graphics there. It's like everything and anything possible is on that screen. But if you listen to the words, giving the middle finger, manifestly insane, uh, hypocrisy, these are hubris. These are the things that are being observed by at least one Indian commentator. That is on News X. But we know from history, this is not an unfamiliar position to a lot of the Indian media and by extension, the people 
people of India. So what exactly is going on here? Why is this relationship, which when Harper was prime minister, was quite a strong one between Canada and India, soured and cooled so much? I want to bring into the show here uh, Professor Vivek Dehagia, who is a professor with Carleton University and joins me now. Uh, professor, good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on today. Hi, Andrew. Great to be on the show. So let's just first off talk about whether this is something that we can squarely lay at Trudeau, because it seems like there has been a night and day difference between the Canada-India relationship when Harper was there versus when Trudeau was there. But has there been some context that's not related to this change in power that I'm missing? Well, I think that is the crucial difference. Uh, you know, Canada-India relations really reached a high point uh, when Stephen Harper and Mr. Modi were you know, both in power in their respective countries. That was only about a year or so, I guess, of overlap. Uh, but for various reasons, you know, and I've, I've, I've written about this, Harper and Modi had a real rapport. They had a real camaraderie. You know, they're both sort of grassroots conservatives. Uh, they both had to sort of fight their way through the establishment to get to where they were. And Harper also courted Modi assiduously. Even when he was chief minister of Gujarat, he set up a trade office there. So he did everything to signal to India and to Modi that Canada took India seriously, wanted to partner with India in an important way. And we've gotten entirely the opposite signals from, from the current prime minister. You know, he's always playing to the domestic diaspora. Uh, let's face it, uh, Sikh Canadians have been loyal liberal voters, and they are concentrated in key ridings in Greater Toronto and Vancouver. So even though their total numbers may not seem large, they are consequential. Uh, and I think it's just honestly, shamelessly playing to the diaspora vote, votes back home, back here in Canada. I know it's a very complicated issue to distill down into a, a generalization here, but when Trudeau is talking about, you know, what what that presenter I, I played the clip from is sort of denouncing a, as his comments on, on Khalistan, is that something that would be applicable to all Sikhs or is there a division in Canada on where they stand on, on that issue? Oh, no, certainly there is. Um, you know, no one would suggest, and I'm not suggesting that all Sikh Canadians uh, you know, support Khalistan. We don't really have any accurate data on this. Obviously, no one is going to fess up that, hey, I support, you know, uh, India being broken up and having a separate state for Sikhs. Uh, but we do know that there is at least a significant minority, vocal minority of, of Sikh extremists who are strong supporters of Khalistan. They took out a float, a big parade a few months ago, which portrayed uh, the killing of Mrs. Gandhi, the prime minister in 1984. She was assassinated by two of her, of her Sikh bodyguards, and that float appeared to, you know, I did not see that float, but from all reports appeared to, to glorify that. It said revenge. There was a sign saying revenge behind it. Uh, and that, you know, India did not take kindly to that. Uh, so, you know, this uh, the, the summit really kind of summarized everything that's gone wrong, that Trudeau has prioritized domestic diaspora politics and he's not taking the big picture view, Andrew. I mean, India, uh, look at the fact that in the U.S., whatever, you know, Trump and Biden are different in 99% of the ways that, you know, they could be different. But in one important way, uh, the turn towards India, Biden has kept to the Trump playbook. Uh, Biden, uh, although, you know, he's very much progressive on the left and so on, different from Trump, different from Modi, uh, had a big state visit 
for Modi this past summer. Uh, he spoke to Congress for the second time, sort of really, you know, gave him the red carpet treatment. Um, and, you know, in return, Trudeau uh, skipping the leader's dinner was, was in very poor taste. Uh, you know, that honestly, his presence there was so minuscule, was so minor, that he ought to have just zoomed in, you know, had a Zoom call, would have mm -hmm. saved us all some, some, some money as taxpayers and saved himself the grief of being stuck there on the, you know, for two nights on the ground. When he talks about, you know, the right to freedom of protest, and again, that news X clip I found was quite interesting in, in bringing up the freedom convoy and just the, you know, the way that, you know, Indian people would look at Justin Trudeau's uh, treatment of, of Canadian protesters in, in that. And I, I don't want to draw a false equivalence, but, but when he makes those comments, it is very much like he's meddling in India's domestic politics, is it not? Well, that's how it was seen, Andrew. In India, the External Affairs Ministry was very stern, saying, look, you know, we don't comment on your internal politics in Canada. Please don't meddle uh, with what, what uh, they're doing. And, you know, there is a certain irony, uh, you know, uh, a certain hypocrisy, a double standard. So, you know, for the context, uh, there were uh, protesters uh, jamming up the highways leading to Delhi for almost a year, you know, for months on end, uh, protesting farm reforms, which were, you know, would have been good for the economy. Uh, and the government in India did not crack down on them. Uh, and in fact, they finally caved into some of some of the farmers' demands. Now, these were mostly Sikh, uh, Sikh Punjabis. Um, and so when, you know, uh, India gets this talking to from, from Trudeau, and then two years later, uh, Trudeau cracks down hard using draconian emergency powers, never used, you know, except by his father, except in wartime, uh, on, on peaceful protests uh, after, what, two weeks or so, you know, in the nation's capital. That contrast was very striking, and people didn't fail to see that, that difference, that he was kind of preaching You've got to reach out to the protesters, talk to them, something that he didn't do himself. So, so that was that was very dissonant and very jarring for, for lots of people. I, I never want to, you know, let one person speak for an entire country. I, I mean, whenever Canadian conservatives have seen, you know, people in the Indian press comment on Trudeau, they all love the clips. And and I mean, I, I don't know if that's an accurate representation of where Indian discourse is. You know, for example, like someone in India could take a clip of my show and say, look at what Canadians are saying. But, you know, I would as much as I would love to speak for the country, I, I don't. But I'm curious in this case, how much those comments that we hear are speaking for a pretty broad sentiment. Well, I think they are. And what's really sad here uh, also, Andrew, is that Trudeau actually had a very popular image in India when he came to power. You know, he was young, he was charismatic. Uh, mm -hmm. he, he seemed to really resonate with young people all over the world. He was in the news. You know, he was sort of uh, the new exciting kid on the block. And so people were willing to, uh, to embrace him, you know, as an interesting new Canadian leader, young and maybe bringing a fresh approach, but all of that really evaporated in 2018 with that disastrous visit. I saw the, the package that you, you started with, which was really more like, like a Bollywood trunk show than it was a state visit. Uh, nothing was accomplished, um, and there was gaffe after gaffe. Uh, the last one that really put it off the rails was when a convicted uh, Khalistani terrorist was invited to the official High Commission dinner, that you know, private reception that Trudeau hosted and was photographed with you know, uh, with, with Sophie and, and so on. And it was all very, very embarrassing for Canada. 
Um, and the Indians, you know, did not take kindly to that. Uh, that that someone like that got on the official guest list for for, mm-hmm. for, for the prime minister's private reception to close to, to to close that week there. It was really really very embarrassing, and people did not you know fail to see that. Uh, what 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 message that sent? Yeah, and I would also add. I mean, it's impossible to live up to the level of incompetence and blundering on that particular trip. I mean, this one has been a cakewalk compared to that. Although, you know, throwing in airplane malfunctions was, uh, you know, a nice little uh, feather in, in the cap here. But uh, the one interesting aspect of this, and you, you mentioned the diaspora earlier, uh, Canada and India are linked more than a lot of other countries in terms of population. And, and you know, for example, like I've talked to uh, so many people that literally just live their lives between the two countries because they've got families there, people that are going to weddings back and forth. If you've ever gotten on a plane at Pearson next to the uh, flight that's going from Toronto to Delhi, you'll notice just how many people there are there that are are very linked between these two countries. And, uh, you know, the one thing I've gotten the sense of is that a lot of Indian Canadians keep very close ties to uh, India because they have family there. Maybe they still have work commitments there. So these two countries should be getting along. And and I'm wondering what it would take to salvage that. Because at this point, if there's not even a basic respect for the Canadian prime minister in India, which it sounds like is the case, is this relationship literally on ice until there's a new government in Canada or a new government in India? I'm afraid so. In fact, I, I don't think that really there's any way at this point, you know, we've gone from a deep freeze to the Arctic tundra here. Uh, it you know in terms of where we're at, and really you know as you put it correctly, you know if Modi loses next year or Trudeau loses you know whenever, uh, and there's there's a new prime minister at either end, uh, we you know there could be a could be sort of a a chance to to jumpstart uh, Canada India, but really it's it's completely stuck now, uh, and again it's it's really really disappointing that because you know, Trudeau's own foreign foreign policy manifesto, this Indo-Pacific strategy, called for reaching out to India. Now, you mentioned the diaspora, and I wanted to say one word about that, if I may, Andrew. Please. Um, You know, both the U.S. and Canada have large Indian diasporas, but there is a difference. Uh, This is something that people don't often always acknowledge. Uh, There are major fissures, you know, major cleavages in the diaspora here in Canada, um, because there is a large uh, percentage who are Sikh Canadians, as I say, you know, uh, uh, a small minority, but a small but vocal minority, still harbor hopes of Khalistan, this uh, independent homeland for the Sikhs uh, that led to a spate of terrorism in India in the 80s, the killing of the prime minister. Uh, and so unfortunately, uh, that group of people is intrinsically going to be very, very negative towards India. Uh, and I think that colors the diaspora relationship. I mean, they, they go back and forth, but I don't think that all of them, I'm not talking about all of them, but some of them don't like the Indian government uh, for what they perceive as the crackdown on, 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 uh, you know, on Sikhs in Punjab mm-hmm. uh, as they see it. Whereas the American diaspora, Indo-Americans, for the most part, are really gung-ho about what's going on back where, you know, back, back where they came from. And so, for example, Biden or Trump or whoever doesn't have to play this game of, you know, I've got to say one thing to the Sikh diaspora in, in back in Canada, say something else to, to Modi, uh, their hands are much freer. We, but, so uh, it's hard to, ex- to explain this. You know, the, these, uh, uh, they, they aren't sort of monolithic blocks, these diasporas. 
They're made up of lots of different groups of people with lots of different views. Um, and somehow, for, and for some reason, the diaspora in Canada has not really played the role that it could have or it should have uh, to really uh, lead to a tighter embrace with India. It's not happened. Is that not in some way a consequence of Canada, like the specific Canadian interpretation of of multiculturalism? Because it seems like in other contexts as well, we import these cleavages and these uh, issues that are not settled in the homelands, but we add basically another arena for these battles. Oh, that's absolutely true. Uh, I mean, I mean, so so Indo-Americans are our first Americans and then they came from India. So there's a basic there's a basic unifying factor there now of mm -hmm. course they have major cleavages politically you know red versus blue trump versus biden and, and so on but they're fundamentally all they all agree that we are americans first um and in canada there seems to be this fracturing uh of, you know given our multicultural model which certainly has its strengths but it has led to to a fragmenting of a larger canadian sense uh, that people have that, look i'm a canadian First, I'm here and, and I care about what's going on where I was born, obviously, but uh, let's not import those grievances from back home because this is now, this is our home now. So let's focus on what we can do together here in Canada. Uh, last question, Vivek. Uh, India had offered a plane that apparently the Canadian government never took them up on the offer on to help Trudeau get home. Do you think they were being hospitable or do you think they wanted to get rid of him? I saw that that news. I mean, maybe, maybe a bit of both. I mean, I can understand why Trudeau didn't accept the offer. I'm sure there would have been all kinds of bugs on, on board to record the conversations, uh, so to know what he really thought uh, of of what happened in India. But you know, it's I guess it was sort of rubbing it in. You know, a G7 country has a leader whose home he can't live in, official residence. You know unsafe to live in and your, your plane doesn't take off. I mean, it's, you know, really for Canada, this is such, you know, such terrible yeah. PR, such terrible, you know, people see this stuff that, you yeah. know, you, this is what the prime minister of Canada, he, his plane doesn't take off and, and he's sort of basically camping out, you know, on the grounds of Rideau Hall. That's yeah, I should. Uh, I remember the indignation when Pierre Polyev, the conservative leader, said Canada is broken. And Justin Trudeau gets up there and says, you know, Canada is not broken, just like everything in Canada, apparently even that he needs and uses is. Uh, Professor Vivek Dehagia of Carleton University, great to have you on the show at last. Thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you so much, Andrew. All right. Thank you for that, Vivek. We'll Thank have you. to get you back on in the future. I know he's got to get off to a class, but we are very grateful to have him and his insights here. And, you know, it's again, I, I can't say enough times when Justin Trudeau was elected, that very smug two words, Canada's back. That was what we were being told, that under Stephen Harper, we were the shame of the world. And under Justin Trudeau, Canada was back. And then like two years later, he's like Bangra dancing in India, Larry. I, I like how Vivek referred to it, the Bollywood trunk show, uh, which is uh, quite, quite something because, you know, he wasn't doing it in a way that they were all saying, oh, wow, he wants to be just like us. Look how cool he is. They're like, what the heck is he doing? And, you know, obviously politicians will wear various types of, of garb for reasons of respect. I mean, there are various ceremonies when they go to Gurdwaras or temples where someone may cover their head or put on a particular type of, of, of clothing, but no one was asking him to do what he did. No one was, put, put that picture up again, Sean. No one was asking for this. So uh, that is basically where we are now. That is, oh, he has two, you have two more, Sean. All right, well, you've been holding back on me. Put them up. 
oh yeah, we got the whole family involved. That was, I mean, <laughs> apparently, well, I'm not going to say anything on that, but uh, that was the whole family because again, you can't just buy one outfit. You've got to outfit the whole uh, clan on that. What else do we have? Oh, there we go as well. Yeah. So he brought enough for multiple wardrobes. That I think is the most important part here because that was when uh, we had learned not long after that the liberal campaign had two planes instead of one plane. And we could only surmise that the second one was just the wardrobe plane. So... <laughs> Anyway, uh, we were at the Conservative Party of Canada convention in Quebec City over the weekend. Uh, we did a deep dive into all the things that happened there yesterday. And one of the great things was being able to sit down and, and talk to people that we normally have to have in a little Zoom box on the screen here and seeing them in person. One of them was the former leader of the Conservatives, still a Conservative MP, and now the House leader for the Conservatives under Polyev, Andrew Scheer. Joining me is a Conservative Member of Parliament and former Conservative leader, Andrew Scheer. Andrew, good to talk to you again. Good to see you, Andrew. This. Uh, I mean, obviously, this is a pretty rocky few years for the Conservative Party, one could say. You know, you go from uh, successive election losses in 2015, 2019, 2021. You were the leader for, for one of those periods. The vibe here, though, is really different. I mean, it almost feels like an in-government vibe from the crowd here. I mean, ha have you sensed this optimism before 2023 uh this is an incredible atmosphere right now and uh you know we try not to get too hung up in the polls they they, they mm -hmm. go up and down but uh the thing that is just so encouraging is when you look at the number of people that have been coming out to conservative events every delegate i've spoken to every riding president says you know when we do an event now we're getting people who have never come out not just to a conservative party event but a political mm -hmm. event in general so Pierre's message of attack, uh, tackling the cost of living crisis that Justin Trudeau has caused by bringing inflation down, lowering interest rates, it's really speaking to the, the hurt that people are feeling, in addition to the core principles, the uh, conservative principles that he has stood up for, getting rid of the carbon tax, protecting individual freedom, and free speech. So there's a lot of reasons why people are enthusiastic and optimistic. I mean, I was there in, in 2019 when you announced your platform, and a lot of the things that the Conservative Party and, and the Pierre Polyev are talking about now are, are things that you were talking about as well. I mean, affordability, balanced budgets. And why is it that you think the message seems to be taking on this new life now that hasn't always been the case? Well, because the damage that Justin Trudeau is causing has just gotten that much worse. Uh, you know, in 2019, interest rates were lower, inflation was lower. Now it's just crippling families. Uh, I'm sure you know many friends who are counting down the months to when they have to renew their mortgage. Yeah. Uh, if you've got friends who are on variable rates, they're already experiencing that pain. So the, I, I think the, the pain is just so much more pronounced. Uh, crime is way up. Uh, you know, the, uh, the, the, the scandals have piled up. So just all the things that, uh, that were there in 2019 are there again here in 2023, uh, just times 10. And of course, one of the big changes between 2019 and 2023 has been COVID. And if you look at a subset of that, the, the Freedom Convoy, which for conservatives, I think was a really big eye opener. And I, I've seen shades of that at the convention. I mean, Anna Polyev and her remarks talked about truckers, which I think uh, got a pretty big standing ovation. Uh, we've had uh, Pierre Polyev talk about that. We've had uh, also a resolution uh, to amend the Constitution that was talking about freedom of association. And I'm wondering what you take of the fact that that seems to have really embedded itself in the conservative consciousness, that moment in Canada. Well, you know, Pierre spoke to this a little bit too, where he talked about how past governments, whether they were liberal or conservative, would still stand up for fundamental freedoms. Mm -hmm. We might disagree on what government policy should do uh, or how it should be implemented, but that those basic human rights that we as Canadians 
enjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're under attack in a way that they never have been before. And you know what we saw when people came to Ottawa to stand up for their freedom, to to protect their freedom of, of, of choice. There are people from all walks of life, from not just uh, truckers, but mm-hmm. there were a lot of small business owners. There are a lot of uh, people who had been fired or lost their job because of, of, a, of a healthcare decision that they wanted to make for themselves. So. Um, you know, there's a lot of areas we can look at to say that Justin Trudeau is eroding our freedom. We've got the set internet censorship bill, um, all kinds of things that, that he's doing to divide Canadians. But that was maybe a moment where it, it, it kind of hit a catalyst moment or, or had a breaking point and people decided to, to stand up and do something about it. We're a ways past that now. So now we're looking at, okay, well, how will how will a conservative government stand up for those freedoms? So when I hear Pierre talk about things like repealing C-18, C-11, um, you know, making sure that there's freedom of speech on campus. Yes. There, there's a lot of things that we can do on a go-forward basis uh, to make sure that our fundamental liberties are protected. I, I know one of the things that you had proposed that I, I quite enjoyed in 2019 that I think conservatives should definitely make a point of is a, a, a law constraining governments to balance the budget. Now, you look at the books now, I mean, something like that, you would need to have such a long runway to implement that because of how bad things are. And is there a bit of concern on your part that if the Conservatives do win, and let's say there's a majority government and there's a four-year mandate, that it'll be so challenging to disentangle all that Trudeau has done over, by that time, eight or ten years in a four-year term? And, and that there's, it, it'll be hard to meet those expectations that Canadians who are hurting may have. Well, it, it's a great question because every... Every month that goes by that Trudeau doesn't bring in a plan to constrain that government spending uh, to, to, to eliminate those deficits over time is another month where real real pain hits Canadians and has long-lasting consequences. Mm-hmm. So it, it, there really is a, a sense of, of um, we're running out of time to fix this before it gets really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when, when Trudeau was promising that interest rates would stay low for a long time, that debt was consequence-free, um, you know, we were calling him out on that, saying, no, eventually yeah. the chickens come home to roost. And now we're seeing that. We're seeing the, the terrible consequences of runaway inflation. You know, a lot of... We, we, this was when we were being told it was transitory, yeah, by the way. And, it's just going to be, you know, shit passing in the night, right? And it's so frustrating to be yeah. to see these economists that work at banks uh, or Bank of Canada officials themselves who were telling those uh, false promises yeah. back then now say, well, it's not, uh, it's, it, it's all kinds of factors. You know, it's global supply yeah. or it's, well, that's all nonsense. The Bank of Canada printed hundreds of billions of dollars to buy government bonds to allow Trudeau to continue his massive spending. That's why we're seeing inflation. That's why Canadians are suffering through higher prices. And that's also why now the Bank of Canada has to raise interest rates to make up for their mistakes in the past. So what Pierre was talking about, Pierre was, you know, really the first voice with a, with a large platform to, mm-hmm. to to warn Canadians about this. Those same economists were, were poo-pooing him and saying, no, no, Justin Trudeau's right. That, well, he, Pierre was right. And had we listened to that common sense plan, and, and if we just kind of used our common sense thinking as a country, say, wait a second, mm-hmm. you can't rack up the credit card forever without someday paying for it. Uh, this mess wouldn't be as big as it is now. So to answer your question about like kind of timelines and how bad the the situation will be, yes, uh, our our concern is that if he keeps racking up these deficits, that inflation will just continue, interest rates will stay high. That's going to cause all kinds of misery for Canadians, whether it's their mortgage or small businesses trying to you know borrow money to expand to hire. So uh, yeah, it's, it is very concerning. But the good news is there's a lot of low hanging fruit. Liberal government put $35 billion into an infrastructure bank that hasn't built a single mm-hmm. problem uh, project. 
They sent $250 million to the Asian Infrastructure Bank, which is controlled by the communist regime in Beijing, to build the roads and pipelines that Trudeau went, won't let get built here. So, yes, it'll take some hard work, but we know that there's some low-hanging fruit that the government's wasted money on that hasn't actually benefited Canadians, and we can start there. Yeah, I mean, this was, uh, it was interesting when Pierre Polyev was speaking in his speech last night about uh, cutting waste. Uh, Pablo Rodriguez came out and spoke to reporters and, and said that uh, Pierre Polyev was a Republican far-right speaker who was talking about cuts. And I mean, I, I went and, you know, looked through the speech and he did talk about cuts, but he's talking about cutting waste and not cutting programs. But uh, that message to the liberals and, and by extension to the media uh, seems to always be a bit distorted. So what is it that you would offer to Canadians that you would cut that would save money that wouldn't go after those things that they're kind of fear-mongered into thinking will go away, like the Liberals were talking about seniors care, for example. Yeah. Well, you know, when you look at, at, at Pierre's speech, he talked about exactly this. It, you know, we, we went through, there's something in Ottawa called the public accounts and the main estimates, mm -hmm. and, and that they happen in the parliamentary cycle, and the departments have to disclose all their spending. And when you go through there at a fine-tooth comb, you realize this Liberal government has exploded the amount of money that is spent on consultants. So we have, a, we have a public service, we have highly trained public service that are become experts in their areas of, uh, of, uh, of their portfolios. And the government goes along and hires companies like McKinsey yes. to give them advice. Well, we believe that elected officials should take advice from Canadians and the highly trained professional public service should implement that. We don't mm -hmm. need hundreds of millions of dollars on consultants. So we can do things like that. The $54 million Arrives Can app, mm -hmm. such a waste of money. Were there a few uh, software programmers? I think uh, I think they came up with. They determined that you could have come up with that exact same app in a couple of weeks for a few hundred thousand dollars. When the government sends the signal to the departments that they don't care about balanced budgets, that they don't care about fiscal management, waste happens. It happens organically. You know, people aren't worried about missing a deadline or. Order, over ordering uh, things for, mm -hmm. for the office. So just that sense of, hey, we've got a target to get back to balanced budgets in and of itself will help address some of the waste. Well, and anyone who's ever had the misfortune of going through ATIPS, as I have, has seen that every March, there always are these just like deluge of invoices for every type of office furniture imaginable because you've got all these bureaucrats that say, oh my goodness, we were budgeted this much and we don't want to lose it next year, so let's go on a spending spree. And this is never, I mean, it's called March Madness, but it's never actually been dealt with by governments. They've just kept keeping this along. Exactly. And one of the things I like about uh, uh, Pierre's message on this fiscal management thing is how he talks about a dollar-for-dollar dollar rule, mm -hmm. where if a minister comes to the cabinet table with a, a great idea, you know, we're going to do something, we're going to spend money here or do, or, or do whatever, he's got to show within his own department where he's going to find the savings for it. We're not going to ask Canadians to pay more taxes, and we're not going to borrow more money to pay for these new types of ideas that will naturally come along. That in and of itself, I believe, will go a long way to ending things like March Madness, because now the minister knows, okay, if I want to do this thing that I believe in, or if, if I want to go ahead with this program, I've got to get my own department to find the savings. So there's a lot of things that just having that direction from the top will help with. And as I said, some big ticket items, Canada Infrastructure Bank, $35 billion, CBC, a billion dollars there, $250 million to the Asian Infrastructure Bank. There's some big ticket items that we can get some you know, early savings early on, but then there's also just that culture of 
prudent management that is completely missing from this liberal government. Uh, since you bring up CBC, this is something that I think conservative members, it's probably like uh, not the most relevant issue in terms of like impact on lives, but it's probably one of the ones that fires people up the most. And we saw that during the leadership race. And, and even now I've seen defund the CBC t-shirts out. And, and this is an issue. I mean, a billion dollars is not chump change. And when people look at that, that is actually a, a very real cost saving. Is your position that that like, how much of that is actually getting cut? What percentage of that? Because I know Pierre Polyev has talked about saving a little bit for French language programming, for example. Yeah, French language programming, some 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 issues in in uh, northern locations mm -hmm. where you know there's just a completely different set of circumstances. When you look at CBC News in and of itself, it's a lot of money, big expensive real estate <laughs> in uh, in major downtown centers. There's a lot of savings there, and they also have an incredibly negative effect on organic. Canadian media. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when I when I meet with publishers of local newspapers or even some of the bigger chains, they talk about how they're competing for ad dollars with the CBC, who gets paid by taxpayers' yeah. money. So, and even under C18, they stand to be the big beneficiary yeah, of it. Yeah. yeah, you know, so so it's not just costing Canadians to put content that you know that they may or may not like, they may or may not watch. You know, you look at some of the the viewership for CBC News yeah. is, uh, is is declining. But they're also scooping up some of those precious ad dollars that are the lifeblood of local mm -hmm. newspapers, local broadcasters. So it's not just because you know we have a philosophical opposition to the state broadcaster and the government running a news outlet. Mm -hmm. If you can imagine that, we have a situation here in a mature democracy like yeah. Canada where the government runs a news outlet. Um, it's not just because of philosophical reasons. There is actually the practical impact it has on stifling mm -hmm. that growth and that innovation in local broadcasters, in innovative news media like True North, uh, where th there is that competition for subscriptions and for ad revenue. So let's get the government out of that. Let's get the government out of the way and let's let that grow naturally and organically and let the free market decide. You know, uh, yeah. people who enjoy watching your show will continue to watch it and you'll have to find innovative ways to attract mm -hmm. new audience members as you do. And you know, let's let people like you compete. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, I'll just ask in closing here, I mean, one of the challenges for the Conservative Party has always been that it has, I'd say, a broader coalition than a lot of other parties in Canada. And it has, I mean, even just as far as the Conservative base goes, you have your social Conservatives, your Libertarians, your Republicans, your monarchists, your foreign policy folks, and all of that. And, and I think it's sometimes a very tenuous coalition. And I think after a loss, the, the fractures start to show there a bit more. Uh, Pierre Polyev won the leadership on the first ballot by a, a pretty significant margin. I think your leadership was 13 rounds, if I, I recall, so, yeah. and uh, <laughs> Aaron, a little Aaron O'Toole, uh, multiple rounds as well, albeit with a, a smaller field. So do you take from that that the party is very unified and all of these factions are, are playing nicely, so to speak? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just, yeah, I'm sure you have, but... Uh, Take a random sample of the people who are here. You know, the people here who are here at this convention, they represent an excellent cross-section of the membership because each one of them had to get elected in their local riding association to be a delegate. So this is a great sample of the conservative movement across the country. And everyone's united. You know, we might disagree. But the thing about Pierre and the thing that a good conservative leader will do to avoid that fracturing is stay true to those core conservative principles. You and I may disagree on something, but if we agree on freedom of speech, then it doesn't bother me that you advocate for the thing that you believe in. Mm -hmm. And we can rally around that freedom of speech aspect of it, and then we can have our say and in, in, uh, have our debates, have yeah. a vote, and, and live with the results. We have a government like Justin Trudeau that divides and demonizes people who disagree, people who want to express themselves differently than what Justin Trudeau approves of. Yeah. Uh, then, you, then you do see that division, and that's what we're seeing across the country. 
Justin Trudeau desperately wants to divide people, to, to think about the divisions within our society mm -hmm. and demonize so that people don't notice that they can't afford groceries. Last question, if you get in government, are you going to the World Economic Forum? Not me, not actually, not just me, but not anybody in a Pierre Polyev government. We believe that we should listen to Canadians. We don't need to go to fancy soirees uh, with, with uh, global billionaires. Uh, we can go to the barbecues and the Lions Clubs and the Qantas Club uh, barbecue, uh, events to hear from Canadians. That's where we'll get our common sense ideas to improve this country. All right, the barbecue in your local community, not uh, Main Street in Davos. That's Andrew right. Shearer, thank you very much. Great, thank you. That was Conservative leader Andrew Scheer. Had to throw in the World Economic Forum question at the end of it. I, I will say, by the way, with how defiant Polyev has been on that issue, it's going to be very difficult for anyone in that government, if the Conservatives do win, to weasel out and show up at Davos, because that's like as clear as it comes. Same as defund the CBC. That is as clear as it gets. You can certainly talk about, oh, well, this French thing, that French thing. But uh, as we were talking about with Andrew Shear, they're getting rid of CBC News. That is a very clear-cut promise. And uh, it's one thing that I will be watching for, because there are obviously three states stages to this. There's Polyev, the leadership candidate, Polyev, the leader, Polyev, the uh, general election candidate, and then eventually one might say Polyev, the prime minister. But uh, you need to look out for any deviation that takes place along that journey. So if, as with O'Toole, when the platform comes out, there's nothing about defunding the CBC, you'd be like, whoa, hang on. And that's when we hold, hold them to account as they deserve to be. So uh, glad to have the chance to sit down with Andrew Shear, and we'll have some more of those interviews as the week proceeds. So as mentioned, I'm going to be off to the Liberal Caucus retreat, hoping for the best, hoping for the opportunity to uh, put some of your questions to them. That's going to be on the show tomorrow, but I'll also have some tweets about it this afternoon, I suspect. This is the Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to the Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.